So we just completed another round of lease renewals on our current tenants. We do that every summer. We have a four-month lease renewal window. How do you do that? Do you even remember to do lease renewals or do you just let things roll month to month because you're too busy to go back and renew them? What is your process for lease renewals? And more importantly, how do you calculate how much of a rent increase to offer on the renewal? Here we go. Hello, my fellow property managers, Mark Cunningham. Welcome to another episode of the Property Management Business Podcast, where everything we do is dedicated to helping you build, grow, and protect your property management business. So I'm recording this episode in early August. We've just completed more lease renewals. We're almost through lease renewal season. How do you do your lease renewal process? Because lease renewals should be something that is pretty systematized. It is pretty well organized and documented. The more property managers I talk to, the more I find that there's no one way to do lease renewals. But what are the best practices? And most importantly, how do you decide how much to increase rent? Do you just pick some arbitrary number? Well, I'm going to give you some suggestions on how to have a very clear-cut, organized, systematic, methodical, well, I like saying that word, that's it. That's a cool word, methodical process to determine how much of a rent increase to offer to tenant A and why tenant B may you may offer a different rent increase. So we're talking about lease renewals on existing tenants. So here's a couple considerations. Consideration number one, should you involve your owner client in the lease renewal process? Now, if you are, this is not a right or wrong. But if you are, it just naturally slows down the process. That becomes the bottleneck. One thing you want to do in your property management business is try to minimize the bottlenecks of your business. And owners, I mean, we love owners. I'm not saying a negative thing about owners, but owner involvement is a bottleneck. If you have to wait for them to say, yeah, let me, let me think about that. So if you have to call your owner and say, hey, uh, the tenant's lease is coming up for renewal in, in two months. Um, I, is it okay if I renew it? And and how much should I renew it for? Like if you, if you do that, you're giving away all of your expertise, all of your authority. If you're asking them, how, how do they know what the market rates are? I mean, how are they going to determine that? You need to be telling them what that is. My recommendation is to not involve your owners in the lease renewal process. Set the expectation on the front end that this is what they hire you to do. So for example, if you truly have to involve your owner, there's a couple different ways of doing that. We do not involve our owners. Our property management agreement, our PMA, says something to this effect. It says, if you do not contact us at a minimum, I think it's 180 days, 180 days prior to the lease coming up for renewal, we will go through the renewal process. Something like that. Like We will do it. So if you want involvement or if you want us not to renew, it is on your, on you, it is your obligation, your responsibility, Mr. Owner, to contact us and say, hey, I've decided to sell, don't renew my tenant. Or you know what, I want to talk to you about this. So we put it in the PMA, number one. They say, well, Mark, that's a great idea, but owners aren't going to remember that it's in the property management agreement. And you're right, they won't. So another suggestion is this. What if every January you have a little note to yourself, you send out a mass email to all of your owners 
and you let them know that as your tenant's lease is coming up for renewal this year, if they want to contact you to discuss renewal options, to discuss pricing, to discuss anything, they need to do that because if you do not hear from them, you will be renewing the lease. Maybe just do a mass email. But the more you can get away from having to contact one-off owners, the easier it's going to be for you. Now, I understand sometimes you say, well, gosh, my, my process is to always call them and say, hey, what do you want to do? Here's what your property is worth. Do you want to sell it? But we're talking about lease renewals. So the more you can automate the system and eliminate bottlenecks, the better. That's the owner side of things. Now, how do you determine how much to increase the amount for? Let's pretend that your owner's not involved, and so you're just going to go ahead and you're going to make that standardization. Here's our recommendation. What we do is we sit down as we begin the renewal season, which for us starts in about February or March, when we're going to begin our renewal process for that whole batch of upcoming summer lease renewals because we do time all of our leases to expire between the months of April, what is it, April, May, June, July, and August, I believe. So we've got like a four or five month window there. We time everything. So we sit down in February and we do some calculations. We say, what is the market increase percentage over the last 12 months? Now, this is a big percentage number for the market. What is the market increase year over year for our market? And you can find that out. Just look in your market, Google it, look in your data, look in your, I was going to say newspaper. You, Man, how old am I? Newspaper? Look online. But you should know that. So you could say, for well, I'm in Denver, and we would say, gosh, the year over year average increase for rents over the last year in Denver have been 8%. Okay, so let's pretend it's 8%. 8% now becomes your rent increase baseline percentage. You should write that down. Rent increase baseline percentage. That means 8% is the number, the percentage, that is going to be the baseline of all increases. So if someone was paying $1,000 a month, their rent is going to baseline increase by 8%, which would be how much? $80. Their new rent's going to be $1,080. That's where you start. That's just the first step in the process. So everybody's baseline increase is 8%. That's step number one. Step number two now is to look at the individual that you're increasing and to make a determination of whether that increase will be higher than 8% or whether it will be lower than 8% based upon the factors I'm about to share with you. Okay, so they're 1000 bucks. Our imaginary tenant was at 1000 Step number one, I say, okay, our baseline increase is 8%. We're going to $1,080. Now I'm going to look at the specifics. This is where it takes a little bit more work. I'm going to look at the specifics of the property and the tenancy to determine do I go up from the 8% or do I go down from the 8%. The first thing I want to look at is the tenant's length of tenancy. How long have they been there? And when was their last rent increase? If they've been there for five years, and for whatever reason, they've not gotten an increase in the last five years. Ooh, well, then it's going to obviously be a lot higher than 8%. Maybe they just moved in a year ago and rents in the last year in that neighborhood haven't gone up 8%. This, this is where you're taking detailed information on the specifics of the property and the specifics of the tenant. So how long have they been in the property? That's a very important factor for us. What is their payment history? Is this an amazing tenant 
who always pays on time? Or is this a tenant who is late and late and late? That may factor into your rent increase amount because we want to retain high quality tenants. And for tenants that are not paying on time, if you decide, well, I'm not going to make a move, but gosh, maybe I'm going to increase their rent a little bit more because their payment history has been so poor. They're an increased riskiness of renting to them because one of these months they may just stop paying when they miss these late payments. So I've got to offset that increased risk I'm taking. Another factor is the difficulty of the tenant. Do they call and complain all the time? Are they yelling at you? Are they mad about this, mad about that? Now, if they're complaining enough, maybe that's a reason not to renew their lease at all. And by the way, let me just take a sidebar here real quickly. You should have, my friends, a documented reasoning list for why you will not renew a lease agreement. Have you ever decided, no, let's not renew their lease? You should have written down somewhere in your office, written down, documented. Here are the three, four, five, six, seven reasons that we will not renew a lease agreement. You say, well, Mark, my market doesn't require that. I don't have to have it written. I don't have to disclose it. That's fine. But if the tenant believes you're non-renewing them for a discriminatory reason, right, protected status type stuff, then you do need to be able to point back and say, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't non-renew them because they have four kids. That would be discriminatory, right? That's a protected status thing. I didn't non-renew them because they are in a wheelchair. Right? That would be discriminatory. It wasn't that at all. It was because they've had four late payments. It was because they have uh, aggressively threatened employees at my office, whatever it is. But you want to have a very specific documented reason, reasons, plural, for why you will not renew lease agreements. So you're going to take those things into consideration. You're going to look at the length of time in the property, their payment history, their difficulty of managing that tenant as well, and then determine how close or far they are from the market rents. You take into consideration your baseline increase. You're also going to take into consideration here the specifics of your owner's desires and wishes. This is where you have to know your owners. If you have an owner who says, hey, I, I need to squeeze every nickel I can out of this property. Right? I'm so far underwater on my mortgage already that I need, I want to maximize the rent. And if I risk losing a tenant, so be it, but I have to maximize my rent. Versus the owner who says, I never want a tenant to leave over a rent increase. Have you ever had those owners who, like, you're fighting against them because you're going to raise the rent $25 and they don't want you to because they're afraid their tenant's going to move? And you have to convince them that, Mr. Owner, you're $300 a month under market rate. It's okay to give them a $25 rent increase. But you do want to know your owner's intentions and their thought process around that. So once you have all of that information together, now you can make the determination of, okay, it was 1000 bucks. The market increase was 1080 This person has been here for three years. And for whatever reason, they only got a $5 rent increase last year and the year before. They are so far under market, but they are a good tenant. They always pay on time. So we're going to go up from the 8% and we're going to do a 12% increase. Now, there's no science to it. You have to use some judgment here. But I highly recommend you think in terms of percentages, not dollar amounts. Don't just say, well, we'll take it to $25. Now, you may want to round 
that percentage increase to the nearest five or ten dollar increment. You may not want to say that well, it's a thousand eighty-one dollars and twenty-three cents. But don't just throw out these flat $25 amounts. Think in terms of percentages on your renewal process, not flat dollar amounts, because a property running for $1,000 a month is very different running for $2,000 versus $3,000. So percentages is where we want to go that way. Okay, a couple other comments and thoughts around that. As I mentioned a moment ago, this is one of our phrases in our office. We never want to lose a quality resident over a rent increase. Now, if they're so far under market, that they're just going to move, then fine. If that's what the decision they make. But if it's really a quality resident, we don't want turnover. Turnover is the biggest expense a landlord could incur. So you wanna work hard to minimize the risks of turnover. Your goal is retention, right? Your goal is retention. And you should be measuring your retention rate. What percentage of your tenants do renew their lease? And it should probably be somewhere around the 60 to 70% of your tenants should be renewing. If it's much lower than that, that may tell you that you're increasing your rents too high or maybe you're just doing a bad job as a property manager. Maybe they can't wait to get out of there and so not many are renewing. If it's too high, if 100% of your tenants are renewing, then that means you're not increasing rents enough because people are always gonna be moving. Natural movement happens. You're going to shoot for that 60 to 70%. That means you're a healthy business in a healthy market. You're always going to have some turnover there. Okay, so you've got the number. I'm going to take my tenant from 1,000, and I'm going to take him to 1,080. Now what do you do? Well, we start that process about 120 days, excuse me, 90 days. Our owner has to notify us 120 days. We start our lease renewal process 90 days prior to the lease actually coming up for renewal. So what that looks like for us our resident services coordinator runs this whole process. They print a report for each property manager of the property manager's leases that are coming up for renewal in 90 days. They give that report to the PM. The PM then goes through that report and does what I just said. They do all those steps I just talked about there. They come up with the renewal dollar amount. They write that dollar amount down and they give that report back to our resident services coordinator. So maybe there's 20 properties on there, they had the report, they write down the new amounts, they give it back to our resident services coordinator. And our RSC, that's the abbreviate, the initials there, our RSC is gonna run the renewal process. So she's gonna send two docs by email to the tenant. One of them is a little email and it's a real friendly email. Hey, Mr. Tenant, I can't believe your, your lease is already coming up for renewal, time flies, it's been such a fast year. Oh, we would love to have you stay. Uh, the enclosed, information is for you to review, but you have three options. And this is where we give them their three options written. Option number one, to lock in the lowest rate for another 12-month term, sign the attached lease renewal, which offers you a lease extension at X number of dollars, $1,080. That's option one. Option two, if you are not going to be renewing your lease and you've decided to move, here's a link to go download our notice to vacate form and you'll wanna fill this out and turn it into our office. Option number three, if you do not renew your lease and you do not turn in a notice to vacate, legally you will be on a month to month lease and per your current lease agreement, if you go month to month, your rent will increase to, and then we have a percentage increase. So our existing lease agreement has a built in increase in the case of month to month. So we send them that letter, 
that letter includes a place for them to automatically click and sign the lease renewal. So we want to keep it simple for them. We don't need to offer to them, have them say yes, then we send them the renewal, then we communicate. Like it's, it's all in one. Send them the whole thing. If they read it and they're like, yep, this is great. Click, click, click. They're done. Now that brings up the question of, should you be sending them a complete lease packet on each renewal? Or do you want to just send them a one pager, like a one page lease renewal option? That's a judgment call. Some companies send the whole lease. Uh, we do not. We prefer just to send a lease renewal. Now, every couple of years, however, when leases get updated and they get updated and they get updated and suddenly you look up and say, gosh, our lease today looks nothing like what it did five years ago. Well, then maybe you should do an entire new lease for that. But just make the determination at what point in time do you want to do a full new lease versus doing the renewal. So we'll do renewal forms for a number of years. And then last year, for example, we said, uh-oh, it's, it's time. It's time to do the full lease packet on the renewal, which is a lot more work. So we'll send out the lease package from then. Track that number, my friends. You've got to track your lease renewal if for no other reason. You need to be able to tell your owner clients what your company's lease renewal percentage is. So when you're talking to a prospective owner client, you can say Mr. Owner Client, Miss Owner Client. Another reason that you should consider partnering with us in the management of your home is our lease renewal percentage is 75%. 75% of our tenants renew their leases. And if we renew leases with our tenants, that removes the largest potential expense you have as a landlord. And we do that through the quality of service we provide to our tenant on a monthly basis. Well, there you have it, my friends. That's how we do lease renewals. You've got to tighten up your process. And you should have a checklist, by the way, for all the steps we just talked about. Everything should be documented so it works like clockwork. It can be as automated as possible. Having these things in place will make your business run smoother, your lease renewal process quicker, cleaner, and most importantly, easier. If you're having a hard time trying to find time to do lease renewals, then I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you are also having a hard time trying to make the time to reconcile and balance your trust account. What, what goes through your mind when I say the word trust account reconciliation? Like, does do the hairs on your neck start to stand up because you're like, oh my gosh, I know my books are a mess. You know, in the property management business, we can be really, really good at property management, but we're not accountants. Now, maybe you have an on-site in-house accountant and if so, good for you, but are they reconciling your trust accounts on a regular basis? Is the money that you think is in the bank actually in the bank? And does that reconcile to your accounting software? There's so much to happen there. And I find that in talking to property management companies, the accounting piece is one of the pieces that PMs have the most trouble with. Are you confident that your bank trust account actually matches what's in the bank and matches with the software? Because as your business grows, so do all these accounting tasks. And they make it harder and harder and harder to keep focused on the things that you need to be focused on, like lease renewals. Well, there is a solution. The solution is Reconcile Daily. Reconcile Daily is a company that does just what the name says. They do daily. They're a daily reconciliation service that ensures all of your trust accounts are accurate and compliant. If you worry about audit risk, compliance risk, 
then you need to reach out to my friends at Reconcile Daily. These folks are property managers. They get our business. They're CPAs. They do reconciliation so that you can focus on what you do best. Now, their website, Reconcile Daily, it's a mouthful, isn't it? I'll put a link in the show notes here. But reach out to these folks. I know these folks. I like them. I trust them. Because you need to have someone running your bank statements with integrity that you can trust and that are experts. That's what the folks at Reconcile Daily do. Reach out to them. Tell them Mark sent you. Have them look over your books. They can do a cursory look over just to tell you like, yeah, these things are pretty tight. Or, oh my gosh, your books are a mess. I would burn your business down and uh, go jump in a lake. But they can tell you that information. Reach out to my friends, ReconcileDaily.com. Okay, let's move on to a couple questions that have come into us. And by the way, if you have questions that you want me to answer, jump on our website, pmbuild.com. Jump over to the contact link there. You can ask me a question, and I will do my best to answer your question on a future podcast like this. So this comes in from Debbie. Uh, Debbie says, Mark, we had a huge summer storm in our area that damaged thousands of homes in a very concentrated area. Our maintenance team has been working hard for weeks to get the properties that we manage triaged, quotes to landlords, and scheduling repairs for the worst part first. One particular landlord is demanding a second quote from another source for a simple fence repair and upright storage building that toppled onto its side, less than $3,000, and he's not claiming it on insurance. It is not our practice to get multiple quotes for our landlords on repairs as we do check supplier pricing and price our work competitively. What are your thoughts? Oh, Debbie, that's we could do a whole podcast on this, multiple bids, so I won't, uh, I won't go too deep on this, but specifically, I agree with your comments, 100%, Debbie, that you do not, nor should you be, nor can you be obtaining multiple bids for properties that are small or, or projects that are smaller like this. Okay, so let's take a step back. When it comes to getting bids, you have to understand a couple of things. Some jobs are biddable and some jobs are not biddable. You have biddable jobs and you have what's called time and material jobs. Biddable jobs are straightforward things like carpet replacement, paint new cupboards. That's very straightforward. You measure the square footage, what's the price per square foot, and there's the bid number. Those are very biddable jobs. But you need to understand that punch list type projects, so if you have a turnover and you go in and you're bidding, you're going to replace carpet, you're going to replace paint, and then you have your punch list of 17 things in the house to be repaired. The hole behind the door, mini blinds installed, uh, smoke detectors, a new lock on three of the doors, five light bulbs, scratch in the hardware. You've got your list, right? And you give that to your repair person. And your owner says, well, I want a quote. I want a bid for that. That's where you need to pause and say, well, Mr. Owner, I can get you a bid for the biddable parts of this job, things like carpet, things like paint. But the other things that we have on there, those are time and material jobs. They're not biddable. And the owner will say, I don't understand. What do you mean it's not biddable? Of course it's biddable. Get me a bid. To which you say this, well, Mr. Owner, here's the problem with that. If I send in my repair person to give me a bid, they're going to look at those things and they're going to assume the worst. For example, one of the items on our checklist may be repair the drippy faucet in the kitchen. Well, that drippy faucet in the kitchen could be something as straightforward as taking a wrench and tightening the valve, which means it costs you basically nothing 
right? I mean, they spend 10 minutes and they move on to the next item. Or the repair of the kit, leaky kitchen faucet could be and require a $250 new sink install. If I ask them for a bid, guess how they're going to bid it? They're going to bid 250 bucks. They're going to assume the worst. And then when I ask them for the bid on the mini blind repair and or replacement, it may just require a new wand, which would be a dollar. But if they're bidding it, they're not going to go through and make that determination. They're going to just assume, nope, that's a blind replacement. That'll be $82. And they're going to give you what is going to look like a massive bid because they're assuming the worst on each thing. What we want to do, and we trust our vendors, Mr. Owner, and you need to trust your vendors, my friends. We trust our vendors to go in and do the work. They will do it properly, and they will do it most economically. That's why it's not biddable. Now, Mr. Owner, I can give you like a guesstimate. You know, I can say, gosh, I think this is probably going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,500, but that's the best I can do. And that's true. That's the best you can do. Now, back to Debbie's specifics, right? They know this fence repair is going to be less than $3,000. They want another bid. Here's my recommendation, Debbie. Here's what I would say. I would say, Mr. Owner, uh, you are welcome to go and get a second bid if you would like. Our practice is to provide one bid. This is our bid price. If we get this done, it will be $2,975. Here is our bid. But we don't go get multiple bids for things like this. You need to think of yourself almost in terms of you are like a general contractor. You are getting the bid price for your owner client. Would you say to a, a general contractor, hey, uh, Mr. General Contractor that's doing this job for me, give me a second bid. He'd be like, what do you mean? Like, this is my bid. Give you a second bid. Like, do you want me to do the job or not? If I do this job, it's $3,000. Well, give me a second bid. And he would say, I don't think you understand what I do here. I don't do multiple bids. I am the general contractor. That's how you need to think of yourself as a property manager. Now, I know you're not a general contractor, but you're giving a price to get a job done. And if an owner wants to go get a, a second bid, that's fine. They're welcome to do it, but we're not going to do that for them. Now, the only time we do get multiple bids is if it truly is something very excessive. If we're replacing a roof, then yes, we're probably going to get a second bid because it's going to be $20,000. So use some judgment there. But as a best practice, I highly recommend you do not get sucked into this, oh, we give multiple bids. Things on turnovers, absolutely not. Don't do it except on things that are excessive in pricing because you will also drive your vendors crazy. The, the first time you get like bids from a vendor and you get the third bid from that vendor and you don't use them for the third time, <laughs> They're going to stop using you. So we tell our owner clients, similar to what Debbie did, hey, De hey client, uh, we rebid all of our vendors on an annualized basis. We check their pricing, and we just determine which vendor we're going to use based upon quality of work, based upon timeliness, and based upon prices. Those three things, quality of work, timeliness, prices. We also make sure they're licensed, they're insured. So we will use the vendors that we know give us the best when it comes to those three things. If you want to go get another bid, you are welcome to do so. Great question, Debbie. Okay, one more question here. Uh, this comes from, uh, who does this come from? This comes from a Debbie also. I don't know if this is the same Debbie. Good morning. I have a landlord who wants to upgrade the flooring from laminate to ceramic tile in a living area where dogs really scratched up the finish. 
We tried to repair the scratches, which did not work and left unsightly glaring spots. The landlord wants to charge for all new flooring to the tenant. I feel that only the exact same match can be charged back, so only a portion of the cost would be the tenant responsibility. Would love to hear your insights. Oh, you know, we're going to do a, a podcast upcoming on security deposit disputes between owners and tenants. What do you do when the owner says, hey, I want you to charge all this money? And you say, no, I don't think we can do it. Let me read you my email response back to Debbie here. I said, uh, Debbie, I agree with your assessment. I would tell the landlord that we can't and we won't charge the entire cost back to the tenant because that is not an enforceable charge. And should the tenant contest this charge in court, we would lose. Then I went on to say, tell him that if he wishes to charge the full amount, then you will give him the full security deposit back. You will inform the tenant that the owner will be doing the security deposit return. So now you are no longer legally liable. And then he can charge them whatever he wants. But he will be the one that has to defend it if the tenant contests those charges legally. That's what you want to have. I recommend, number one, you have something in your property management agreement, in your PMA, that says you have the option of refunding the security deposit to the owner and requiring them to do the deposit return. And they'll say, well, why why would you do that? And you would say, well, if you tell me that to deduct something that we believe is illegal, unethical, or just wrong, then we're going to return it to you. So when those disputes truly happen, and an owner says, charge for these tack holes in the wall, charge for this carpet. And you say, Mr. Owner, this carpet is 12 years old. I can't charge. No, I demand you charge for it. So I'm sorry, but we can't do that. The best I can do is return the full security deposit to you. You can charge whatever you'd like, but then you're going to have to deal with the tenant should they contest it because we won't do that. Don't let yourself get painted in a corner, my friends, getting that stuff done. I believe if you handle yourself that way, everybody truly wins. You maintain your integrity in that process. The owner can do what they want. Now, truly for us, if an owner, if we were that disputing with an owner, we'd probably just terminate our property management agreement because they're not letting us do our job, which is partially to protect them. Sometimes from their own ignorance on how to return a security deposit. Last comment on that, you should also put that on your website, have information on your website about wear and tear versus damage. Oh, we refer to that page a lot on our website. What is wear and tear? What is damage? How to understand the difference for both owners and tenants. Well, there you have it, my friends. Information on rent increases. You know, the uh, last podcast we had was on fees, right? Setting a management fee, how to decide how much to charge. Hopefully you're charging a lease renewal fee as well. I had a lot of people reach out and ask me specific questions on that fee. And it was a good reminder to me that on our pmbuild.com website, we have an entire training module on income streams. It's not just a list of fees. It's how to make money and how to be profitable in this business that is a very narrow margin business. Profitability is a challenge, but it is vastly important to your survival in this industry. So if you need help with how to make money in property management, jump on our website, pmbuild.com. We've got a bunch of free information on there. You can actually buy our full training where we go through 
what is it? I don't know, 30 different income streams. We give you the language to put in your PMA. We give you information on how to communicate that charge, that fee to an owner, to a tenant, whether it's something as straightforward as a leasing fee or something as unique as a security deposit protection plan. Jump on there, check that out, pmbuild.com. We've got information on all sorts of things that you'll find on there. My friends, until next time, I wish you success.